Now, let's get to work this morning. We're in the middle of a teaching series called Doubt. And here's what we did last week as we started through this process of working through some of the major doubts we have in life is we question God's existence and if God is in fact Jesus Christ. And so we walk through the process of understanding even from a mathematical level that God does exist. And from a biblical level, we talked about him being Jesus. And um, if you missed that, you can go back and check out the message. We don't have time to go through that this morning, but it is a lot of information. And we even backed it up with our podcast this past week about how we can believe in the authenticity of Scripture. Next week, we're going to talk about how we sometimes doubt God's goodness. Have y'all been there? Is God really good? Does he really love me? And does he have a good plan for me? We're going to deal with that. And then lastly, in a couple of weeks, we're going to deal with doubting God's forgiveness. Because if you're like me, you carry around a lot of stuff that you think God can never forgive you for. Anybody been there? So we're going to deal with that one. That's going to be a heavy one. It's going to be important for us to walk through. This morning, we're going to deal with a big topic that I think it speaks to every person. And it's doubting God's plan. Does he have a plan for my life? Now, we've heard this our entire lives if you grew up in church. God has a wonderful plan for your life, a great plan for your life. Here's the deal. Have you ever questioned what is that plan? Something sideswipes you? You get hit in your blind spot? Okay, where's the plan here, Lord? We've all done stuff like that. We've all had those times in our life where maybe a child comes to you and says, I want to change everything about myself and about what you've taught me. You ever had that happen? Or maybe you've had that issue to where there's a medical procedure and then you do this. You look it up on WebMD, which is the worst thing you can do, right? You ever had a headache? My head hurts on the right side. WebMD, you could die in two seconds. Good, neat. Not a good choice. Not a good choice. Maybe you've been through something like this. You see all the things that can go wrong in life. And you wonder which pathway. Maybe a tragedy has struck you. Maybe you're dealing with inflation and your budget is screaming for help. Any of y'all there? And sometimes life is just hard. Lord, what's the plan? So let's, let's ask this question. Maybe the broader question or the simpler question is this. Can I trust God's plan? Because that's the issue, right? I do believe that God has a plan. You know, we're building this on the foundation that God exists. That person is Jesus Christ, and the in Scripture is authentic and leads us in the right direction. But here's the deal. How can I trust it? Y'all struggle with that one, right? Because sometimes we stick our hands in the middle of the problem to try to fix it just because God didn't do it fast enough. We treat him like a fast food restaurant. It's our way, what, right away. So how do we trust it? How do we begin to move her through that? And really, how do we make basic application to our lives now i told you to turn to genesis chapter 12 uh but we're going to go to matthew chapter 1 in just a moment but the first and foremost thing i want you to understand and we'll throw this up on the screen god is personally and actively involved in creation that's something that's a huge thing see it's easy to believe in god it's easy to say there is a spirituality out there and that leads to all forms of religion agnosticism things like that but here's the deal when we read scripture, we understand that there is a God, he is Jesus, and he is personally involved in your life, as well as the entirety of creation, and he's active in the midst of it. Now, sometimes we're searching for that, right? 
I remember going to a play when I was in college called Searching for Godot. And many people, think, many people think that's a play on words, how people search for God. And I think many of us search for God and how he's actively working. Y'all been there or is it just me? But I want you to understand and be affirmed in this as we walk through Scripture is that God is personally and actively involved in life. Now, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 1, um, starting in verse 2. And this is how Matthew, also known as Levi, begins to write his letter to the Jewish people so that they can come to know Jesus. You follow that train of thought, right? So every New Testament book, every Old Testament book has a theme, has a writer, has a purpose for writing this. Matthew's purpose, and he was a follower of Christ, one of the top 12 disciples. You remember these guys? He was a tax collector, most hated person in Jewish culture, and he begins, to, he comes to know Christ, he changes his life, and he writes to his fellow Jews, and he starts out with this. Go to verse 1 and 2. Notice what happened. This is the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son, the son of the Messiah of David and the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Now stop here. Leave that on the screen. Here's the deal. Not a real engaging way to start a letter. Would y'all agree? Now, some of you like to nerd out on Ancestry.com. I feel you. I get you. You are my people. But the rest of 99% of you, you're like, nerds. You're, no way. And Matthew begins by writing to the Jewish people who he desperately wants to know Jesus, I'm going to give you a genealogical study. Here are your ancestors. And he goes on to say in verse 2, Abraham was the father of Isaac. That is huge. That has massive ramifications. This ripple effect still impacts us today here in Winder, Georgia. That is a beautiful statement. And the Bible is full of these genealogical lists such and such had this son and such and such had this son and such I grew up with a King James virgin and instead of being born they said begat I thought it was a weird bug in South Georgia to be real with you guys now let's go to Genesis chapter 12 here's what's important here remember that guy Abraham now <clears throat> not to make too many jokes this morning grow up in church we used to sing this song father Abraham had many sons and many sons had father what some of you grew up in church and you heard, I thought we were talking about Abraham Lincoln this whole time. We were not. Talking about Abraham in the Old Testament. Now, before Genesis chapter 12 in verses 1 through 3, there's a lot of stuff that's happened. First thing that's happened is that God created the heavens and the earth. In chapter 1 and chapter 2, are a beautiful representation of not only how he created but what he created and if you read it back to back one is artistic and the other one is logical and what a beautiful mind God must have to bring the beauty of a rose but yet the logic of how an atom is organized does that make sense to you guys something that we can't get to I mean left brain and right brain hit and here we have this beautiful creation but then in Genesis chapter 3 the serpent came to Eve in, in the garden and said did God really say if you eat of this fruit you'll die the first temptation is not to eat the fruit but the first temptation is to doubt God's word something we still struggle with today right and then Adam and Eve they ate the fruit and everything bad began to enter into the earth, into the earth right all that stuff then we move on and we're going to just highlight some things right after that Cain and Abel their children Cain murders Abel you remember that and then not too long after that, Noah and the flood. Do you remember that? 
And then finally, the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11. But here's what happens next. All this, and in a word, all of this is chaos. People have messed it up, right? People have just absolutely taken all this beauty, all this logic, jumbled it up into a bowl of spaghetti and said, here you go, Lord. Right. (laughs) That's exactly what happened. And it's the mess that we're in. Now, all that being said and done, here's the deal. God is straightening it out, and he begins his plan in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. I want you to notice what happens here. It says this, The Lord said to Abram, now he changes his name to Abraham later on in Genesis. We're not going to get into that today. But he said, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. So let's, let's read on. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, several things happen here. There are several promises and one commandment. Do you see that? Because he starts off in verse 1 by saying, The Lord said to Abraham, Go. Now, this is a huge step of faith for him because he was a wealthy, old settled man he was a guy who was stuck in his ways y'all been there you know somebody that's there he's got it now there's a problem here because he's up in age he's in his 80s he's married to sarah who's beautiful but she's up in age too and can't have children but yet god says i want you to get up leave and go to a land i'll show you and i'm going to make you into a great nation which means you're going to have sons And if anybody curses you, I'll curse them. If they bless you, I'll bless them. His favor is going to be upon him. So I'm going to bless you with many, many sons, many, many children throughout your lineage. I'm going to curse those and bless those. I'm going to show you favor. And then he says this, and this is is what's important to you. Notice this. Go back to verse 3. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. But get this, all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. When it says peoples there, it means nations, that means races, that means ethnicities. Make sense? All people are going to be blessed through this. Now, here is where we begin to see God's plan unfolding. Because in the midst of this, there are some beautiful things happening that impact us today. Okay? Now, as we walk through doubt, we we ask ourselves sometimes why why we experience some things and we learned a few weeks ago that God is glorified in the miracle but perhaps he's more glorified in the management of a problem miracles are just that they're rare right and we've all prayed for miracles and God gets glory with that when he walks on water that's a miracle when Moses stands before the Red Sea and it parts that's a miracle and many of you have seen and experienced medical miracles but miracles are rare we don't want them to be right why because we have this mentality Lord I want it my way right away but sometimes the pain in the management and I would say most of the time glorifies God even more you follow me on this we grow to the level of pain that we can handle at times several years ago some friends I grew up with found out they were pregnant they were excited to have the baby 
But after a few ultrasounds, the doctor says, uh-oh, which is something you never want to hear, right? And they find out through testing that the baby had a rare condition that once it was born, it would only live 45 minutes to an hour and a half, and it would die. There was no other, no other way. And so they're left with a choice here. Do we terminate? Do we have the baby? What do we do? But the bigger issue is this. What's the plan here, Lord? Right? That's the bigger issue. What in the world? We've all had those moments. We all have that emoji on our cell phone where the guy's doing this, right? And that's where we're at. What in the world's going on, Lord? Now we go back to Genesis chapter 12. Because I want to take you through the process here. And things we can learn from Abraham when life seems to be falling apart, when you don't know what the plan is, how you trust it, okay? Now, we're not going to read all this, but I want you to know what happens next. As soon as Abraham got this word from the Lord, he got up, he gathered his household, him and Sarah, took his nephew Lot, all of his herds and his flocks, and they left. They left everything to go follow the Lord's commandment. But then they get to the promised land, and in verse 10 it said there's a famine in the land. So even when they get to the place that God has promised in chapter 12, verse 10, there's a famine. They can't live there. So then they decide, hey, we'll go to Egypt. Seems like a logical thing to do. They go into Egypt. Sarah was 80-something years old, and the Bible says, and I'm going to just kind of pretty this up for us, she was smoking hot according to Abraham, all right? I hope I'm like Sarah at 80-something years old. Y'all with me on that? And he says, you're beautiful. Pharaoh's going to want to marry you, so tell him you're my sister. So he lies to Pharaoh. God curses Pharaoh. So, so far we've had a famine and we've had a lie. Are y'all with me on this? Now, what happens next is this. Chapter 13, him and Lot have this disagreement and they separate. So now his only kin, whom he probably was thinking, this is how God's going to bless this nation and bring about many sons and daughters has left me. And he takes his flocks and herds and goes one direction and Abraham goes the other direction. So now we have betrayal. And in chapter 15, we have really uh, before that, uh, he has to go rescue Lot. It's kind of like I got to go bail Lot out of jail after he's betrayed me. You with me on this? Verse 15, God reaffirms his promise. But here's the deal. In chapter 15, not verse 15, God promises him again. You're going to have another you're going to have a baby. Sarah will have a baby. You're going to have a son. Abraham and Sarah had a hard time believing this. And so Sarah goes, "Here's my servant Hagar. You go and y'all have a baby together and I'll raise him like my own." So they did this. Now, let's pause here for a moment. This is us trying to determine what God's plan is going to be, right? Y'all done that before? So I'm going to put myself in the middle of it. It's not happening fast enough. I'm going to shift things around. This has happened from the very beginning of time. Even in the crucifixion, when Judas stands before the high priest to betray Christ, he's trying to force Jesus' hand to take Jerusalem by force. You understand that, right? That's the betrayal. All this is happening. Hagar has a baby. They name him Ishmael. Abraham was 86 years old. Now, in Genesis chapter 17, Abraham is 99 years old. At 99 years old, Ishmael's 13 years old, God reaffirms his covenant. We're not going to go into that. And in chapter 18, an angel visits them and tells them again, 
Sarah's going to have a baby. Sarah hears the angel say this, and she laughs. Obviously so. This is a woman in her 90s. She's never had children. And the angel said, a year from now, she'll be holding her baby. Sarah laughs. Then he has to go, and he has to rescue Lot again. He gets in trouble again. It's like the kid that can't figure it out, right? So he goes to rescue Lot again. So you have betrayal, you have war, you have lying, you have famine, you have all this stuff. And then Abraham lies again because another king says, your 90-year-old wife looks really good, so I'll marry her. And Abraham says again, she's my sister. Bad marital advice there. God curses him. They reunite, and guess what happens in chapter 21? Sarah has a baby, and it's Isaac. Now, through that whole process, now I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 22. Through that whole process, you've got to think, Abraham steps out of his homeland and all of his wealth and all his provision and possessions, and he goes to the promised land, and there's a famine. I'm doubting. You with me? So he goes to the country of Egypt and Pharaoh takes his wife he lies I doubt this then he steps in back into the promised land Lot who's probably his protege at the time betrays him and leaves him that causes doubt then again God says I know you took this thing in your own hand but Ishmael your son whom you love will not be the one I establish a nation from more doubt he lies again more doubt there's a war more are you following me on this and then Isaac is born and in that moment you can imagine Abraham and Sarah sitting there going God you have done what you said you were going to do but some of you know the rest of the story Genesis chapter 22 go to verse 1 sometime later God tasted, tested Abraham and he said Abraham here I am he replied then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go into the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain, and I will show you. Now, many of you have heard that before. Maybe for some of you, it's the first time. But what blows my mind next is that Abraham got up, packed his bags, got his son, and they went to the mountain. There was no hesitation. He said, okay. He had transitioned from a place to where he doubted God's plan or he forced God's plan into following God's plan. How does that happen? Now, some of you know the rest of the story. We'll read it just because, in case you don't know the story, I'm going to make you feel better, all right? Verse 3, early the next morning, Abraham got up. He loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And we had cut enough wood from the burnt offering. He set out for the place that God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the, mount, a place, the place in the distance. He said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we'll come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it, in the, it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. And as the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up to his father and said, Father, yes, my son, the fire and the wood are here. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Can you imagine Isaac's apprehension at those moments? Hey, Dad. Uh. <laughs> so, verse 9. 
In verse 8, I'm sorry, Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went together. When they reached the place where God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there, arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him and said, Abraham, Abraham, here I am. He replied, do not lay a hand on the boy. He said, do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have withheld you have not withheld your son from me your only son Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a lamb caught a ram caught by his horns and he went over it over to it took the ram and sacrificed it God provided this is an amazing story but here's what we want to deal with just for the sake of what we're struggling through in our own personal doubt of God's plan how do we trust God in those moments maybe what can we learn from Abraham because after all that stuff he's given a son and God says go kill him and without hesitation he gets up the next morning chops the wood sharpens his knife takes his servants packs up the donkey walks three days so he's contemplating this puts the wood on his son's back takes the knife takes the fire and walks up the side of the mountain how do you do that in the mountains that you're called to walk up, that I'm called to walk up, how do we trust in God's plan? Two things I think we can draw from Abraham. Number one is regardless, stick to the plan. His plan's better than ours. And we might not feel that way, but feelings can betray us, agreed? Stick to the plan. God lays these plans out for us because he has our best intention in mind. Stick to the plan. Sometimes you're like, well, what is the plan? Well, it's pretty clear in Scripture about what we're supposed to do, right? Right? Pretty clear. I mean, we might allow culture to detain us, experiences to warp us, but one thing stays the same, and that's Scripture. Stick to the plan. My son is uh, taking an economics class, and I was listening. Um, it was it was kind of a cool moment. I was sitting on my computer at home working on this, and he was sitting on his computer next to me taking a class at the same time. It was one of those moments like, is this really happening? I'm getting old. And one of the videos he was watching was on macroeconomics. I don't do that stuff. But I started listening in, and the professor said, and I, 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 it just stuck with me. He said this. I was, should have been preparing my message, but yeah, ADHD happens. He said this. He said, economics is all about choices. Economics is about how you choose to spend your money. And even if you have a limitless amount of money, you have a limited amount of time. You have to choose to spend that limitless amount of money in the right ways. And his point was this, whether you have a lot of money or a little money, a lot of time or a little time, life comes down to choices, right? And the reason many of us are in the circumstances that we're in is because we've gotten off God's plan. It's choices. Or how others have chosen to treat us. 
But that doesn't mean you waver from God's plan. It means you continue to stick to God's plan. You feel me on this? Second thing we learn from Abraham here is past provision produces present faith. Past provision produces present faith. Is that in every area of his life, God provided. God provided a way out from the war. God provided food and sustenance in the famine. God provided um, him a way out from when he lied to Pharaoh and the other king. God continues to provide. And here's the deal. When we face a moment where we're doubting God, look back at how he's provided. And some of you are like, I have no idea how he's provided. Listen to me. You're here at this moment, or whether you're engaged in this online or not, you're here at this moment because God has provided an opportunity for you to hear the gospel. Period, right? We're here. I don't, I, don't know, I don't know how broken that road is for you. I know how broken mine is. That's my story. You have your story. But the opportunity is here. And the past provision that I've had provides present hope and present faith. Now go back to Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. We'll see this. He says this, and this is the, this is the past. But Matthew, I want you to put yourself in what Matthew's writing here. He's saying, look, Jewish people, my brothers, my sisters, here's the deal. Verse 2, Abraham was the father of Isaac. And then he goes on for 28 generations and comes down to verse 16 at the end. And he says this, notice this, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who's called the what? Messiah. Here's the point. He's saying, look, you go back these 28 generations between Abraham and Jesus, you're going to see prostitutes, you're going to see thieves, you're going to see murderers, you're going to see a broken road. But at the end of that road is always Jesus. And that past does not have to determine your future. You get me on that? That is the beauty of one of the, one of the beautiful things about the gospel. It doesn't have to determine. So with that in mind, I want to give you two steps of application about how to build your trust. Number one, here we go. Comfort in God's sovereignty. God is in control. We say that, right? But he is. If one atom in the universe is outside of his control and his sovereignty we're in big trouble psalm 8 we read it a few minutes ago i love that psalm i mean get this put it on the screen here notice what happens here psalm 8 he says lord our lord how majestic is your name in all the earth you've set your glory in the heavens through the praise of your children and infants you've established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger when i consider your heavens and the work of your fingers the moon and the stars which you have set into place what is mankind that you're even mindful of us human beings that you even care for us you have made us a little lower than angels and crowned us with glory and honor you have made us rulers over the works of your hands and you've put everything under your feet all flocks and herds and animals of the wild the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea that swim in the paths of the seas lord our lord how majestic is your name and that word lord is your sovereign god take comfort in that two step of application and this is something we draw specifically from Abraham and the other saints in Scripture. Abraham spent a lot of time with God. And that's how you're going to build your trust the most. In Scripture, with his people, and in prayer. 
I want to encourage you to go through the Bible reading plan this week called Prevail on Bible.com or the Bible app. Because when you spend time with God, even when you don't feel like you're getting something out of it, it begins to build into your faith. Is that when you're doubting these moments, God still has a plan. So my friends found out they were pregnant. The baby's going to pass. And of course, like all parents, they prayed for a miracle. But they also chose not to terminate the pregnancy. Praying that God would provide a miracle, but knowing that the tragedy might be there. Went full term, delivered the baby, and 45 minutes later, she passed and went to be with Jesus. Where's the plan? Here's the plan, I think. This is just Chip's perspective. By allowing that baby to go to full term and have 45 minutes with her mom and dad, the parents are making, making an incredible proclamation. There's value in life. And there's value in your life. You are not an accident. You are not someone God has given up on. You are not someone that God can't use. You may have the dirtiest past. You may have the worst sin. You may be so ashamed. You may be paralyzed by the fact of your guilt is all there all the time. Listen to me. There is a beautiful cross that says, I took the punishment of that. And there is an empty tomb that says, I've conquered that. There is your beauty. There is your hope. You have value. Do not take that for granted. Abraham never experienced the joy of the gospel that we get to experience. But he got, he got to help pave the way, right? As do you and I. So here's my last question. Where's your hope? Where's your hope this morning? You see, we put it in a lot of things that we can see and taste and experience, but at the end of the day, it has to be in Christ. Hope does not answer all your doubts, but it helps us overcome them. So this morning, if you're here and you need that hope, if you need prayer, here's what we're going to do this morning. The band's going to come up. We're going to sing one more song and watch a video announcement. But during that song, if you're here, you need Jesus, you need hope, you need prayer, I'm going to be standing off to my right, your left, and I would love to pray with you and talk about what it means to follow Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. And God, in these moments, we're asking that you would speak in a very profound and powerful way to each one of us, that you would overwhelm us with your grace, fill us with your spirit, and consume us with your presence. God, as we celebrate new life this morning, we celebrate life in general, that we're valued. We're valued, Lord. That sometimes we can't see the plan because of the darkness, but we know that you are there. So grab our hands, steady our feet, and give us strength. Jesus, thank you for loving us. And thank you for the hope that we can have in you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.